Among the most famous psukim in the entire Torah are the psukim in Parshas Ekev that begin the Chamishi Aliyah in Perak Yud, psukim Yud Bet through Yud Gimel, the Atah Yisrael, Ma'asham Lokecha Shoal Mi'imach. Moshe dramatically asks the Jewish people, What does Hashem want from you? Ki'im, just that. Liras Hashem Lokecha, to fear him, Alechaz Bechol Durachav, to go in all of his ways, to follow him, Ula'ava Oso, to love him, Ula'ava Ros Hashem Lokecha, Bechol Avavcha, Bechol Nafshcha, to worship him with all of your heart and all of your soul. Lishmar Smososav, Mitzvos Hashem, to observe all the Mitzvos, Aschukosav, Ashanochi Mitzav Chayom, which Hashem is commanding you today, Letov Lach, because it is for your benefit. Rashi, in interpreting these psukim, explains they have to be understood in context. Coming on the heels of previous psukim, which had made reference to the fact that the Jewish people, people had previously sinned and rebelled most dramatically at the Chede Egel, the sin of the golden calf. And therefore, the Torah is communicating here that Hashem is still only asking of you to fear it. That is to say, va'ata does not mean something new, after all, we have already been obligated in Yerat Shemaim previously in the Torah. Rather, Va'ata means even now, even now, despite the sins, Ma'ashem Lokech What does Hashem want from you? He has compassion on you, and He's still willing to just accept Yerat Shemaim from you, if you can at least do that. That interpretation of the Psukim as, so to speak, downplaying the level of demand is exactly what the Gemara in Brachos, very famously on Daflamad Gimel and Webet, is bothered by when the Gemara asks, how could you claim that Yerah Shemayim is a minimal request, something not that demanding, in the Gemara's well-known formulation? And the Gemara answers, yes, in fact, in Lagabi Moshe, Milsa Zutrasahi. Moshe, who was speaking, for him, it's not such a big deal. So on the one hand, you see confirmation that just like Rashi, the Gemara here is assuming that the ki'im is downplaying the level of demand. On the other hand, as many have asked, whether it be on Rashi or on the Gemara, it just doesn't make any sense. Mira Shemaim is a big deal, and more than that, the fact that it's small, it's not a big deal for Moshe, how does that help the rest of us? The fact that Moshe is such a high level, and he can have Yerah Shemaim, for him it's a small thing, but Moshe is not speaking to himself, he's speaking to the rest of us, for all of history. So how does that help? How does that make any sense? Ramban does not ask any of these questions explicitly, but implicitly it's clear that Ramban is bothered by this, and therefore the Ramban gives a completely different interpretation than Rashi. Ramban says the first part of the Pasuk in Yudbet has to be understood in light of the conclusion of Pasuk Yudgimel, where we read Litovlach, that this is all being done for our benefit. And therefore the Ramban explains that En Hachinami, the actual demand objectively of Yerash Shamayim is of course a big deal and it is challenging and demanding for most people. However, what Moshe is stressing is that the reason that we have this obligation is Latovlach. It is for our benefit. Hashem is not obligating us in anything just because it's good for Him. Rather, because it is good for us. And therefore, thus understood, Ki'im does not mean it's a minor thing. It is a big thing. But it's a minor thing in the sense that we're not being asked to sacrifice our own true interests. It's actually somewhat of a small thing to ask a person to do something that's actually good for him or her. doesn't mean it's objectively easy, but Moshe is explaining, almost like a good parent or a teacher would, yes, what I'm asking for you is difficult, but you will benefit in the long run. And therefore the demand is not such a challenging or heavy demand, because it's really being done with your best interests in mind. 
A third interpretation, different than both Rashi and Ramban, is offered by the Sefer HaIkarim, which is a book of philosophy written by Rav Yosef Albo in Spain in the first half of the 15th century. And even though he's not really a parshan on the Torah, he's not a commentary on the Torah, but because a particular chapter in the third section of the book is all about Yirat Shamayim, in that context, Rav Yosef Albo offers his exegesis, his parshanut of how to read these psukim, and he is explicitly bothered by the questions that we just mentioned. That is to say, how can the, the psukim, how could Rashi, how could, the, how could the Gemara be downplaying the demands of Yerushalayim? What's the difference if it's easy for Moshe? A rich person can't tell a poor person, just get me a thousand gold pieces. It's not just a thousand gold pieces for a poor person, even if it's a small token fee for the rich person. So too, the fact that it's easy for Moshe doesn't make it easy for us. What is going on? Therefore, Sefer Ikarim explains in the broadest sense that in fact, the goal of the world, and certainly the goal of placing a soul in a human body, is for us to achieve Yirat Shamayim. On the one hand, it is just, quote-unquote, just a specific command, as we saw even in last week's Parsa, Es Hashem but it's also a general principle which encompasses all, or at least most, of the mitzvot. It's the ultimate telos, the ultimate goal of any human being. In fact, as he says, it's a very demanding thing, which is the goal of all of life. Avram Avinu, no less. Avram Avinu was not called the Yerai Elohim until after he passed his final test. It's repeated in the Torah many times, this idea of Yerushalayim, not only to underscore its importance, but also under, to underscore how difficult it could be to achieve. It's in keeping with all of that in mind, says Rav Yosef Albo, we can understand our psukim. Because yes, ki'im, as Moshe said, he is giving us, so to speak, a discount, the hakalai, he's trying to make things easier for us. How is this easier for us? So he explains, ordinarily and in theory, the only way you could achieve this incredibly demanding goal of your Shemayim is exactly as how the Pasuk initially says in Pasuk Gidbeis. You have to fear him in and of itself innately, you have to follow his ways completely, and you have to worship him with every fiber of your being. Wow, that is hard. However, the Pesukim continue in Pesuk Gimel says the first of Abel and explains that in light of our previous failures, Hashem decided to make it easy for us. Instead of having to be an all or nothing, one fell swoop, having to summon everything for your Shemayim, rather, it can be done by Lishmor es mitzvos Hashem v'eschukosavashayonokim If you just take all of the mitzvos and you take them one by one and you observe all of them, then subtly it will accumulate into the same result of your Shemayim. The goal it does not have to be a big dramatic accomplishment. It can be accomplished one by one by each one of the mitzvot. And the tovlach, Hashem has changed that formula to make it easier for us. It's for our benefit that now instead of having to just be some dramatic accomplishment like Avram, it can be done by every one of us by keeping the individual mitzvot. In the context of praising the physical beauty of Eretz Yisrael and then subsequently a warning against taking Hashem for granted, we read the following Pasuk, Perches Pasuk Yud, Yechalta v'savata uveirachta es Hashem alokecha al ha'aretz ha'tova asher nasanlach. When you eat and you are satisfied, you shall bless Hashem, your God, for the good land, of course referring to Eretz Yisrael, that He has given you. And according to the Gemara and Brachos, this is the source of the mitzvah to bench after we have eaten. This Pasuk and this mitzvah is a good opportunity for us to consider the general institution of brachos and to try to understand them. After all, of all of the brachos that we say in our daily lives, benching is the only one which is unquestionably and uncontrovertibly 
da'oraisa, a Torah obligation. Most brachos are unquestionably rabbinic legislation, and there may even be some which there is a little bit of a debate about. But no, without any doubt, the one that is unquestionably da'oraisa is benching. And therefore, in that sense, it serves as the Torah's paradigm for all brachos. And therefore, it behooves us, in the context of benching, to ask, how do we understand the whole concept of doing anything, whether it's benching or other brachos? What does that mean to bless Hashem, to make a bracha to Hashem? Blessed is God. What does that mean for us to bless Hashem? He's not missing anything. There's nothing that we can give Hashem. What does that mean for a human to bless God? So most Mepharshim who are bothered by these questions basically assume that, in fact, there's nothing we can give or do for God, and therefore they explain the brachos as being for man's benefit. And then each of the commentaries explain, each in their own way, how it benefits us. However, going against the grain, a tremendous chiddush is suggested by Rav Shimshin Rafal Hirsch in his commentary to the Torah on Parshas Ekev. And he explains that, in fact, man does possess the ability to give things or to do things for God, because God's construct of the world is based on a certain vision and a certain goal for the world, which has to be enacted and fulfilled by human beings, and specifically the Jewish people. And therefore, when we do things that further the vision and values of God, then in fact, on some level, we have done something kavyachal for Him. In that vein, he explains, what is a bracha? A bracha is our verbal declaration. It's a commitment or a promise, a vow to do and to live our lives in the purpose, in the furtherance of Hashem's mission. We are committing to it, we are reminding ourselves of it. One way or the other, the bracha is our verbal commitment in reinforcing those values and the importance of living a life committed to Hashem's mission. And in that sense, we are doing something for Hashem, Kaviachal, when we make a bracha. After you eat and after you've strengthened yourself, then in recognition that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is one who provided that sustenance, the bracha, the benching, is our way of dedicating all of our being, all of our body that's now been replenished, we're dedicating that to His service, to the service of fulfilling His will on earth. The promise of this dedication of our life to His will is what's expressed with the word, says Rav Hirsch, Baruch. Benching is not merely thanking Hashem for the food, the way we generally assume. Rav Hirsch assumes that it is thanking us, Hashem for the food, but for Rav Hirsch, that's not the goal of benching, it's the starting point. Given that everything we have comes from Hashem, therefore, in recognition of that, we then go to the next step, and when we bench, we are, to use his words, if I can quote from the English translation, we are stimulating and keeping awake consciousness of all the consequences for the whole conduct and mission of our lives and that is which is attached to this fact in other words, attached to the fact that it all comes from Hashem is the next step which is what benching is according to Rav Hirsch our commitment to live a life based on that Rav Hirsch goes on to explain the three brachos, the first three brachos of benching are the ones that are according to the Gemara from the Torah and therefore, Rav Hirsch explains how each of these three brachos, respectively, fit into this theory of his, that benching is our commitment, our declaration of living a life in furtherance of Hashem's mission. So that first bracha, Hazanas HaKol, which according to the Gemara, was instituted 
the words specifically in response to receiving the miraculous mon in the desert. Therefore, says Rafresh, each time we have some bread, we are reminding ourselves that every piece, every piece of bread, is just as much a divine gift as the mon was. And we focus specifically on bread, says Rafresh, to communicate that even the barest necessities of life, like bread, the most basic things, the most staples, could have not have been provided to us without a direct gift and the kindness from Hashem. And therefore, given that we acknowledge that everything, even the most basic things like bread, comes from Hashem, this is a commitment and a solemn promise to dedicate the service of our life to the Zan Esakol, to the one who provides everything to us. The next and second bracha, Al-Aretz Al-Hamazon, says Rafersh, acknowledges the special mission and service of the Jewish people, which is expressed through HaKadosh Baruch Hu giving us his special land, Eretz Yisrael. But as was already indicated in the covenant that Hashem made with Abram Avinu, this special land will be given to the Jewish people, not unconditionally, but rather based on our faithful observance of the Torah. And therefore, says Rav Hirsch, in the second bracha, where we go to the next level, we talk about the specific mission of the Jewish people to help Hashem, we also indicate and we include references to both bris and Torah, because those are part of the covenant that we made, going back to the time of Amr Avinu, those are part of the stipulations and the conditions. If we want to be worthy of Eretz Yisrael, we need to live a life in accordance with Halacha. So that is the way the second bracha fits in to this theory. And the third and final bracha crescendos with an acknowledgement that our national mission reached its highest and permanent expression with the base of in Yerushalayim and the inauguration of Malchus Beis David as the standard bearer of that mission. While the base of stood, therefore, we said this bracha as a prayer for the preservation of the Mikdash. And now that the Beis Mikdash unfortunately is not with us, it is a prayer for the rebuilding of the Beis Mikdash as the symbol and the highest representation of our mission in the world of furthering God's vision. The end of Parshas Ekev includes a promise from Hashem that if we will observe the mitzvos and follow in His ways, then Hashem will drive out the enemies from the land of Israel, and we will inherit that land for ourselves. What is fascinating is in the Pasuk, which stipulates our end of the bargain, there are a number of phrases which Chazal interpret in very, very interesting and profound ways. The Torah tells us, Ki im shamor tishmerun, it's called a mitzvah hazos, if you will surely observe this command, these commandments, Hashani anochi mitzaveh eschem lasosa, which I'm commanding you to do, to love Hashem, to go in His ways, and to cleave to Him. If we do all that, then Hashem promises to drive out the enemies and give us the land of Israel. Rashi quotes three different comments, all of which come from the Sifrei, the Medrash Sifrei on our parsha, explaining three of these phrases. And I think each one of them are interesting, but studied and understood together as a unit, they actually provide even more profound insight where the whole is actually greater than the sum of its parts. So commenting on the first of the three phrases, im shamor tishmerun, it's called hamitzvazos, why the double language of shamor tishmerun? So the Chazal understand this is an allusion to guarding the Torah that we learn. And the double, long, the double language of Shamor Tishmarun is an exhortation to surely and be very carefully guard what we have. 
says the Medrash Magid Shekashem Shadam Trachli Hizaher Bisaloshlo Tabed, just like you're careful if you have produce in a basket, you want to make sure nothing falls out. Kachli Zaher Bitalmudo. You have to be just as careful with your learning. It's one thing to learn. Some people think it's enough that they went to the Shir, they read the Sefer, but we have to have a special obligation, say Medrash, to remember, and to do our best at least, to remember, to hold on to, not to lose the Torah that we've learned. So the first thing is a focus on book knowledge, if you will, Torah study, and a very demanding exhortation, not just to learn Torah, but to do our best, really do our best, Shamor Tishmarun, not to forget the Torah. Then the next phrase that the Medrash comments on is where it says, to go or to walk in Hashem's ways. What exactly does that mean? How is that done? So the Medrash explains that this is referring to Hashem's Midos. We might have thought uh, the Nitziv in his commentary to the Sifri explains, we might have thought that Drachav refers to just following mitzvos. But in fact, the Medrash understands that this is specifically referring to Hashem's Midos. And that is to say, just like Hashem is known as Rachum V'chanun, so too we should also be a Rachum V'chanun. We should follow in Hashem's mercy and compassion. Furthermore, the Medrash says, just like Hashem is known as a Tzaddik, he's very, very righteous, so too we should be. And this is understood by the Nitziv, at least in his commentary to the Medrash, is specifically referring to going beyond the letter of the law, when it comes to our interpersonal relationships. We have to be a chassid, so to speak. We have to be a tzaddik, excuse me, and go beyond the letter of the law. And then the Medrash says, finally, just like Hashem is referred to in a Pasuk in Yirmiya as a chassid, you should also be like God and be extremely pious, which the Nitziv again explains, refers to that is to say, not only did we initially go beyond the letter of the law, but there are always so many chasiduyot, as the Nitziv calls it. There's even more and more we can do. There's never a limit. There's always more that we can do in helping other people and relating to other people. So this idea understood by the Sifrei is the doctrine known as the halachta bidrachav, or in the uh, academic term, imitatio dei. That is to say that we are enjoined to follow and imitate in Hashem's ways. Imitation, as we were all taught as kids, is the highest form of flattery, and therefore we are obligated to imitate Hashem and to follow in His ways. This is brought up both in Gemara Shabbos and in Gemara Sota, with actually different psukim used as the source. But according to the Sifrei, our Pasuk here in Akev is the source for following in Hashem's essential attributes. Not only the initial ones of Racham V'chanun, the type that are mentioned in the Yud Gimel Midos HaRachamim, but even things like Tzadik and Chassid. Lastly, the Pasuk concludes, Uladav Kaba, we should cleave to Hashem. What, what exactly does that mean? And assuming it means be very, very close to hold on to something, which sounds like Ladav Kaba means, so Chazal say in the Medrash, how could that be? God is referred to as a fire, It's all God is all-consuming. It's not possible for, for a human being to, so to speak, touch God. If we could, we, would be, we wouldn't be human anymore in a certain sense. We'd be burnt up, we wouldn't be human anymore. It's not possible for a human to touch God. So what does that mean, Ladav Kaba? So the Medrash answers, Ella. You should get close to, cleave to both Chachamim and those who study Torah, not even, not even just the big experts, the big Rabbanim, but even Talmidehem, even the students of Torah. Says the Medrash, and I will therefore count it as if 
It's as if you had to fight your way to go all the way up to Shemayim, so to speak, to grab hold of me, to grab hold, uh, so to speak, uh, of the brass ring, as we might say. So the Medrash is basically adding a third point here, and that is that there's an additional level, which is to cleave to Tamir Chachamim, to cleave to those who study Torah. Um, and Nitziv and others explain that that means to not only learn from them, but to help support them, to be with them. And I think the, combi- the, the upshot of this last point is that the lived experience of Torah, of being connected to living embodiments and role models of Torah, that allows for something even more intense than just the book knowledge. And if we put all three of these comments of the Medrash and our Parsha together, it really comes out to be something very profound and very holistic. First, we are told that we have to be Shemor Tishmarun. Start, everything starts with Torah, in serious and intense book knowledge. Study Torah and not forget it. Then we are told to imitate God's Midos. It's not enough to just study Torah, you got to be a mensch. You have to have good Midos, like Hashem. And last but not least, we are told, and I think this relates, in my opinion, to both of the previous two comments, imitate, learn from, be close to Rabbanim, students of Torah, because the lived experience of Torah will teach you something that is more important than anything you could find in a book. Why do we bench at all? What's the point of that obligation, of that mitzvah? And secondly, if we do have to bless the food, how come the Torah mandates that it be done specifically after we finish eating? Only after we've eaten and become satiated, then we make a bracha. Now, not to be confused, we are all familiar with making brachas before we eat. Shahakol, Hamotzi, Ha'etz, etc. But those are actually just a rabbinic obligation instituted much later by the Chachamim. The Torah's obligation to bless our food is only after we have eaten. Why is that? So two questions. Why bench at all? And why is the blessing, the benching on food, specifically after we have eaten? It's to answer these two questions that the Meshachachma, in his commentary to our Parsha, gives a remarkable interpretation and insight into the entire purpose of making brachos and benching specifically. It's really a long and detailed and incredible piece, and those of you who have the ability, I highly recommend looking at the full thing inside. But to give the highlights, let's start as follows. The starting point for the Meshachachma is a Gemara in Masechta Brachos, which discusses benching and compares it to the other bracha, which may very well be from the Torah, the birchas Torah we make every morning, the brachos on Torah or Torah study. And the Gemara actually tries to derive from benching to birchas Torah that just like we bench after we eat, maybe we should make brachos on Torah after we learn. We make brachos on Torah first thing in the morning, before we've learned anything. But maybe, says the Gemara, we should also derive that we should make brachos on Torah after we learn. And the Gemara, in the end, rejects that. But the question is, what's the deeper point? What are we trying to include, and what do we end up not including? Furthermore, the Gemara tries to do the opposite, to derive from Birchas Torah to blessings on food. Just like we can make Birchas Torah before we learn, maybe the Torah obligation of Yechalta V'savata, Uverachta, maybe that should also be expanded to a Torah obligation to bless 
Hashem before we eat. Not just the rabbinic institution of Shahakol and Mizonot, etc., but a Torah obligation from our parsha should also be extended to before we eat. And again, the Gemara rejects that. So what exactly is going on? And this especially brings into sharp focus the question of timing, right? It's not just that we bench, but clearly an essential aspect of benching is that it comes specifically after we eat, because that's actually the topic of that Gemara and Brachos, and the Havamina, the Gemara's first thought was that maybe we could expand it and extend it to before we eat. In the end, the Gemara concludes, no, benching is uniquely situated after we eat. So why is all this? What is going on? What is the deeper point? So the Meshachachim explains as follows. It says, if you view benching merely as a thank you for the food, true confession, that's what my whole life I thought benching was. But says the Meshachachim, that's a mistake. But if, if you had thought that benching was just a thank you for the food, then the Gemara's derivation or attempt to try to expand to include a blessing before we eat might make sense. If I thank Hashem for physical sustenance after I've eaten, so maybe I should also be thanking Hashem for my spiritual nourishment after I learn Torah. We, you know, If it's a thank you thing, we could go from one to the other. However, you see from the fact that the Gemara rejects this attempt to derivation, says Meshachachma, you see from this, that in fact, while of course there's some element of being thankful in the benching, that's not the primary or main focus. Fundamentally, benching is about something else. Now what is that something else? So he explains. Once you have been satiated, once you are full, you've had a good meal, it's natural, and in fact, we're somewhat prone to rebelling against God, rebelling in the sense of forgetting Hashem, and forgetting what role He played in my ability to eat that delicious food and fill my belly. Once I am full, once my belly is full, it's easy to think, who needs God? Or perhaps more subtly for many of us, just to forget that we need God, forget the role Hashem played in bringing that food to our table. Therefore, says Meshachachma, benching comes as a corrective, preventative measure. In order to avoid us falling to that spiritual trap, the Torah requires us to bench, to acknowledge, yes, to say thank you, but more importantly, to acknowledge that the food that we've just enjoyed ultimately comes from Hashem. It's not primarily about hakar hatov, or thanking Hashem for the food, but rather that by so doing, by thanking Hashem, even more importantly, is that we are reminding, we are, under, we are underscoring, we are reinforcing to ourselves that all of the food comes from Hashem, and that will keep us on the spiritual straight and narrow, so to speak. And that's why, on a Torah level, the obligation to bless food comes specifically, it applies specifically, Davka, after you've eaten, and not before, because that, after you're full, that's when you're in danger of forgetting Hashem. And now, says Meshachachim, we can understand the flip side. When it comes to Torah, the brachos are specifically before we learn, because there, the danger is very different. The spiritual danger is that before you learn, you'll have the improper motivation. Maybe you'll be learning for honor, for kavod, or some other atelier motive. And Chazal teaches us that if you learn shalom l'shem shamayim, that can distort the Torah and be, in fact, a very dangerous and terrible thing. Therefore, you have to make the bracha before you learn Torah to focus your mind on the natural 
and pure and sublime reason and motivation for learning. As opposed to after you've learned, then assuming you learn for the right reason, already the Torah has the positive impact on you. And therefore, says Meshach, when we understand not only why we bench, but we understand specifically why it has to come after we eat, as opposed to the brachas on Torah, which we make specifically before we learn. We bench to remind ourselves that it all comes from Hashem, and that has to happen, and specifically happens, after we've benefited from the delicious food that Hashem has provided for us. In the famous Pasuk, beginning with the words, V'haya im shamoa tishmu el in which the Torah describes the condition that if we will surely listen to Hashem's mitzvos, then we will <coughs> be rewarded in the next Pasuk, We'll get rain in the proper time, etc., etc. So, in that condition of what we have to do in order to be worthy of Hashem rewarding us with rain and sustenance, of course, the last few words of that Pasuk, equally famous, tell us that we are responsible to to serve Hashem with all of your heart and with all of your soul. What exactly does this mean? So, in fact, this is the basis of a very famous machlokes between the Rambam and the Ramban about the nature of tefillah, of davening. And it starts with a comment of Chazal in the Sifrei on our Pasuk, also quoted in the beginning of Masechah's Tainus, where the, the drush of Chazal is, what does it mean to say, Mora wants to know, how can you worship or serve God with your heart? Heart doesn't seem to be the kind of uh, limb or part of your body, the organ, that you can serve somebody with. So the Gemara, and, uh, from already the Medrash, asks, what is this avoda that you can do with your heart? Is avoda shihi belev? Zutfila. It refers to davening. Davening is something that is expressed through uh, verbal articulation, but it's really the essence of tefila is avoda shihi belev, what is expressed from the heart. And this source seems to indicate that our Pasuk and our Parsha, is the source of the mitzvah to Davin. And in fact, this is the position famously of the Rambam. <clears throat> the Rambam tells us, both in his Sefer HaMitzvos, Mitzvah Hay, as well as in the beginning of Hichos Tefillah, that there is a mitzvah saseh, a Torah obligation, you must Davin every single day, based on this Pasuk of and this Drasha in the Sifrei, and in the Gemara. Among the Rishonim, notably the Smag, also Paskas this way, follows the lead of the Rambam. There's a daily obligation to Davin, a Chiyav Da'araisa to Davin, based on this Pasuk. Now it is important to note that even the Rambam acknowledges that there are three aspects of Davening, crucial aspects, which are not included in the Mitzvah Da'araisa, which were added subsequently by the Chachamim. They are, in the words of the Rambam, Minyan Hatfilos, Mishnah Hatfilos, and the Zman Kavua. That is to say, Minyan Hatfilos. The fact that we have to daven three times a day, a rabbinic addition. Mishnah Tfilos, that means the specific Nusuch of davening, specifically referring to especially Shimon Esrei, that Nusuch, also a rabbinic addition. And lastly, Zman Kavua, the fact that there's a certain time where you can daven Shachras, a certain time where you can daven Mincha and Mariv, those specific times, those are all rabbinic, even according to the Rambam. But that you have to daven one time a day in any, in any language, meaning in, in, in any words, doesn't matter your nusach, and any time during the day, that is the mitzvah da'araisa. 
Now it is worth noting that there is a very interesting machlokas achronim within the opinion of the Rambam. When he says one tefillah a day in any form is enough, does he really mean any form or not? After all, the Rambam in the very next halacha does mention the familiar structure of Shavach, Bakasha, and Hoda'a. That our Shmon Esrei's take on the structure, a tripartite structure. We begin with Shavach, we praise Hashem. Then Bakasha, we ask Hashem for things. And lastly, we thank Hashem. So there's a Machlokas Achronim, if that's also merely a rabbinic addition. But Midar Raisa, you don't even need that. Or others say, no, Midar Raisa, even though you can say whatever words you want, but your words, even if they're brief, have to follow the structure. A very interesting machlokas. All of that, though, is the opinion of the Rambam. The Ramban vociferously and famously disagrees in his comments to the Sefer Mitzvos. He rejects the Rambam's position, and he explains that the drusha in the Sefrei, the Gemara in Tanis, is just an asmachta, it's just a, a remez, it's a hint to davening, but really it does not create a real chiyuv. Davening is a chesed, it's a kindness that Hashem allows us, but there is no mitzvah, there is no obligation. So what is the Pasuk really telling us halachically? So the Ramban seems to say that it describes all of Avodos Hashem. Right? The Pasuk didn't say anything about davening. All of your Avodos Hashem, every mitzvah you do, should be with a full heart. In other words, with great kavana, intent, and sincerity. And among the Rishonim, many, including the Smak and others, agree clearly with the position of the Ramban. In addition, the Ramban quotes numerous Gemaras, which we cannot get into now, which certainly seem to, on their face, all take it as a given and take it for granted that tefillah is only rabbinic. How would the Ramam get out of those Gemaras? Good question and lots of discussion, but beyond the scope of the time uh, that we have. What is really, truly interesting about the Ramban is despite his very strong position, well known, that tefillah on a daily basis is not midaraisa, the Gemara is just an asmachta, and it doesn't mean that. Nevertheless, towards the end of his comments, the, Ramba, the Ramban then adds, im ulai, maybe, maybe the Rambam is right that it refers to davening, but it does not refer to davening on a daily basis, rather, davening at a moment of crisis. Davening based tzara would be a chiyuv, maybe from this pasuk, but not daily davening. In fact, the Sefer Achinoch, among others, assumes that that is the conclusion of the Ramban, and assumes that if one didn't daven when they were based tzara, and according to the Ramban, that would be a bitalaseh. Others, including the Magen Avram, seem to think that that was maybe just a, a possibility floated by the Ramban. Maybe what the Ramban wanted to reinterpret the Rambam, but that Lamaskana, in conclusion, they, the Magen Avram and others, think that in fact the, Sefer, the Ramban does not believe that there's any mitzvah, even based tzara. So it's an interesting machlokas within the Ramban. Very relevant to this is a famous tshuva of Moshe Feinstein from 1963, where he explained that while non-Jews get a mitzvah to daven to Hashem, but there's certainly no chiyuv for a non-Jew to daven. But then the Moshe adds, but if the non-Jew is davening in response to a crisis, he gives an example, either the person's sick or they need parnasa. So then says Rav Moshe, for sure there's a chiyuv, because that's an expression of basic emun and Hashem. And obviously non-Jews are obligated. And Rav Moshe assumes that this is the Ramban's opinion, that the Ramban's maskana is you have to daven based tzara, because it's an expression of belief in God.